Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. When I was 12 years old, my parents went to great efforts to plan for my brother and I a summer vacation at the beach. They saved for months. Dad put in for vacation. They invited some family friends to go along. They made travel preparations and hotel reservations. They pre-planned the dinners and the activities. Every detail of the vacation was mapped out in advance. Mom and Dad even set aside a night to take my brother and I to the amusement park. And there it was, the roller coaster. If I saw it today, it probably wouldn't seem as fast or as big as it did through the eyes of a 12-year-old. But I was in awe of that roller coaster. Now, you got to know my mom isn't really the roller coaster type. But for some reason, she chose to ride that night. In retrospect, it was probably the only unplanned thing about the whole vacation. And it was a wild ride, sharp turns, steep drops. I'll never forget that roller coaster rumbling to a stop. Everyone around us was laughing, and they were pointing at us. I had no idea why until I turned and saw my mom. You see, at the time, female fashion included a hairpiece. A little extra volume woven into a woman's hair was considered attractive. But somewhere in the midst of the wildness, that roller coaster had separated mom from her hair. (laughs) And there she was in the seat holding her hair in her lap. Now it's been 40 years since we took that vacation. But it comes up often. And guess why? Do we talk about the careful planning the hotel, the restaurants, the beach. No, even the roller coaster is now an afterthought. When we talk about that trip, our one subject is the experience that was unplanned, that was a surprise. 
we always talk about mom losing her hair. And this is the way it is with so much of life. It's not the experiences that went according to plan that we recall and relish. It's the unexpected. It's the surprise. The serendipitous that makes a moment memorable. You see, this was Paul's experience with the gospel. He expected God to save the Jews, to abide by his covenants, to fulfill his promises. The heavens and all nature declare God's power and faithfulness. But there were other aspects of the gospel that caught Paul by surprise. He didn't see it coming. And these unexpected blessings so delighted Paul that it's all he wants to write about now. In chapter 3, Paul explains how he was surprised by the gospel of grace. The chapter begins, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, and we got to stop right there, for I am always amazed that Paul wrote this letter in jail. The book of Ephesians are the thoughts of a man who was doing time. Paul is incarcerated in a max security prison. He's awaiting arraignment before the Emperor Nero, a violent, egotistical, wicked thug. You'd think that his letter would be grim, that it would be sad. But you would never know about his difficult circumstances by the glorious content of this letter. Hey, chains dangle from the wrists of a man who writes about his freedom in Christ. He's outfitted in prison stripes as he pins about the righteousness that he wears. A string of Roman numerals are stitched stitched across his shirt while he records the innumerable blessings that are his in Christ Jesus. You see, rather than see himself in prison, Paul chooses to see himself in Christ. And this is the choice that we all make. Do we get lost in our physical surroundings or do we stay caught up? In the spiritual blessings that are ours. How about you? In your heart of hearts. Where do you abide? Are you in pain? Are you in Christ? Are you in debt? Or in Christ? Are you in hock? Or in Christ? Are you in somebody's hot seat? Or are you in Christ? Are you in fear? Or are you in Christ? You see, rather than a prisoner of Nero or of Rome, Paul is the prisoner of Christ. He belongs to Jesus, and it's his Lord that's responsible for what happens to his servant. You see, Christians are never a victim of circumstance. God is sovereign. Nothing gets to me but that doesn't first pass through him. This is why you can't necessarily interpret hardship as a derailment of God's purpose. In fact, you remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 promises us, All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Hey, let me say, if someone convinced you to become a Christian by promising you that all your troubles would end, I apologize. Our God doesn't promise to remove us from our trials, but he ensures us that he'll go with us through them. That's why Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ. And why was Paul in prison? Well, he writes, for you Gentiles. Hey, despite Jewish prejudice and legalism, Paul had stood up for pig-eating, bacon-loving Gentiles. You remember, this is what got him arrested in the first place. 
On one of his visits to Jerusalem, the Jews had claimed to see Paul in the temple with a Gentile named Trophimus. But understand, Trophimus wasn't just a Gentile. He was an Ephesian. You see, Paul had been arrested and deported to Rome because he believed that an Ephesian trusting in Jesus was more a child of God than a kosher Jew. Paul preached grace for every race. God isn't just for the pure fed and the well-bred and the religiously reared. It was surprising at first, but it was quick to sink in with Paul. The gospel of grace made it possible to be right with God without becoming religious or Jewish. You see, the gospel puts God's blessings within the reach of those who are outcasts. Today, whenever I eat some pulled pork, I always recall that I owe Paul a debt of gratitude. Now, Paul had spent two years in Ephesus, and it's funny to me that in verse 2, he asks if they've heard of his ministry. He says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Of course they'd heard. He'd been with them two years. Perhaps Paul is really asking, did you understand the implications of that grace? Maybe if he were writing to us today, he would ask, do we? You see, it wasn't just the people the gospel had reached that surprised Paul. It was the message that he'd been given to preach. The gospel that he was given wasn't the dispensing of God's justice or the laying down of his fierce judgment or the pronouncement of his hot wrath upon sinners. Oh, no. The message he was called to preach was the dispensing of gentle grace. He talks about the dispensation of grace. When you think of that word dispensation, think of the word distributorship. The Jews, they knew of God's grace. So Paul, so God sent Paul to distribute it to the Gentiles. He says in verse 2, it was given to me to give to you. Understand, God is an entrepreneur. God is not afraid of branching out and opening up new channels of distribution for his amazing grace. In fact, he wants to move into all segments of the market, every age, every race, every status, every language, every culture. You know, I guess when it comes to marketing and distribution, no business is better at it than McDonald's. Did you know that the busiest McDonald's restaurant in the world sits a few blocks from the Kremlin in Moscow? At one time, a new McDonald's opened up somewhere in the world every four hours. Today, there are over 31,000 McDonald's stores in 119 countries. You see, as recipients of grace, we should be as aggressive at distributing the gospel as McDonald's is at passing out Big Macs. When McDonald's started in the city of Budapest, 250 Hungarians stood for two and a half hours waiting on the doors to open. 18,000 customers were served the first day. The news report read, Budapest teenagers crowded into the restaurant wearing their best denims, Adidas shoes, and broad smiles. When asked how she was enjoying her first Big Mac, one teen, mixing her corporate metaphors, responded, it's the real thing. (laughs) See, there was so much this teenager didn't understand. She didn't even know the difference between a McDonald's slogan and a Coca-Cola jingle. But her innocence sure didn't stop her from enjoying a juicy burger and some fries. 
And this was Paul's approach. There was much about God and his grace that Paul didn't understand, that he knew we didn't understand, but that shouldn't stop us from faith, from receiving God's grace and enjoying God's grace. At the core of our sun, the temperature is 27 million degrees. The pressure is 340 billion times what it is on earth. This creates multiple nuclear reactions. And in each explosion, four protons fuse to create one alpha particle, which is actually lighter than the four protons. The difference in the mass is expelled as energy, which gradually works its way to the surface of the sun, where it's expelled as heat and light that warms the solar system. You didn't know that I knew all that, did you? But you know, as interesting as all that knowledge is, you don't need to know any of what I've just told you to go outside and get a tan, do you? <laughs> knowledge is not a prerequisite for experiencing what's being, what's being talked about. And the same is true with grace. You, you don't have to know all the ins and outs about God and his plans and his grace and his mysteries. No, all you have to do is have a believing heart. You can receive God's grace. This was true of Paul's dispensation of grace. He dispensed grace not to those smart enough to grasp it all, but to those humble enough to believe and receive despite their limited knowledge. Seeking to explain the nature of God, St. Augustine wrote a vast theological treatise on the Trinity. After finishing his book, he went on a stroll along the beach where he saw a little boy putting water into a hole. He asked the little boy what he was doing. He said, I'm putting the Mediterranean Sea in that hole. Augustine laughed. But Sonny, that's impossible. The sea is far too vast and your hole is far too small. Well, later it hit him. That's what he'd been trying to do. God is infinitely greater than we can imagine. God is the sea and our minds are that whole. But thankfully, our ignorance doesn't stop us from receiving God's grace. It's not knowledge that God rewards, but it's humility and faith. And Paul was a distributor of this good news. You know, we too need to be dispensers of grace Always on the lookout for new channels of distribution. Perhaps your office, maybe the job site, has never had a strong witness for Jesus. The people there don't know of God's grace. The same could be said for your tennis team or the neighborhood or the hunting club. God has given you the distribution rights for that new market. Don't be surprised by it. Get busy. I once heard it said, there's enough bread of life to supply the whole world, but are there enough volunteers to distribute it? You see, Paul was also surprised by the history and nature of the gospel. He says in verse 3, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Already in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9, Paul had spoken of the gospel as a mystery. Here he develops that idea further. You know, when we hear the word mystery, we think of an Agatha Christie novel or maybe a Sherlock Holmes movie. 
a suspense-filled, smoking gun, whodunit kind of thriller. But that's not what Paul means when he uses this term. You see, a biblical mystery is a truth that was known only to God. You could call it a sacred secret. It's a truth that man would have never grasped had God not chosen to reveal it. You see, no matter how smart a person might be, the human mind can never search out or unravel or decipher a divine mystery. Some truths are known only to God. In 2013, the World Puzzle Championship, did you know there was such a thing? It took place in Beijing. Yearly, that event draws about 150 geniuses at solving puzzles. They all come to match wits. You know, in fact, we all like to solve puzzles, don't we? Crosswords and Sudoku and Candy Crush. We all like these puzzles, don't we? Why is that? I think it's because real life is so ambiguous. It's so perplexing. Real solutions are hard to come by. But with a puzzle, I'm sure that I can eventually figure it out. And yet not so with God. He is beyond us. The eternal, infinite God is a puzzle we can't possibly unravel. You know, today churches, they build their sanctuaries to maximize the sight lines. Every seat in the house needs to be a good seat where you can see all that's going on up here on stage. But realize that's not the way the great reformers, the Protestant reformers, built their cathedrals across Europe. They took just the opposite approach. Take any seat in one of those cathedrals and your forward vision will be somewhat obscured. A column or an angle or a pipe organ will block your view. And both approaches were deliberate. You see, modern Christians live under the illusion that God's actions and wisdom can always be explained. We've removed mystery from the equation. Whereas the men of God, who knew God well, they built their cathedrals knowing that none of us can ever grasp all there is to know about God. We all serve Him even though we don't understand all the intricacies. God has ways past finding out. Realize God isn't obligated to display His whole hand. He reveals only the cards He chooses to show. Our job is to trust God regardless of the circumstances. Faith is not necessarily knowing why. It's trusting who. And Paul saw the gospel as a mystery revealed. Verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets of which Paul was one. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. And partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. It was the gospel of grace that had saved Gentiles and made them co-heirs with Jews. You know, there were Old Testament prophecies that predicted the conversion of the Gentiles. But it remained unclear to everyone but God as to exactly how this would happen. The privilege of explaining the mystery was finally given to Paul. God revealed to him that through Christ, he would bring together both Jew and Gentile as one new group, the church. You see, when Paul first preached the gospel of Jesus, it was answering age-old questions. The gospel was a mystery unveiled. In essence, it was a surprise. 
And I'm afraid one of the reasons that we often take the gospel and God's grace for granted is that we no longer see it as a mystery. We eliminate all the surprises. Oh, when we first heard, when we first grasped the implications of the gospel, it was an unexpected, delightful discovery. Wow, that God would forgive me. We were overwhelmed by the lavishness of God's generosity. We were surprised by a love we didn't deserve. But you lose the wonder and the amazement and the serendipity of that. And what was once an unexpected discovery soon becomes a worn out doctrine. Think of a 15 year marriage. 15 years is probably a good time frame. By that point. The relationship is familiar terrain. And thus to keep love fresh, both spouses have to create some mystique, some intrigue. Add some mysterious, mysteriousness to the routine. Here's how couples do it. They plan a romantic dinner somewhere other than McDonald's. They dress up a bit. They take their time. They enjoy each other again. Then they check into a swanky hotel. (laughs) Whatever the budget allows. Realize your spouse is an ever-changing person. There are dimensions to their personality. You've yet to discover there's new wrinkles. You've yet to explore. Literally, there's some new wrinkles. Here's my point. The way to beat boredom is by reintroducing into the relationship some mystery. And what romance does in a marriage, mystery does in our spiritual life. If the gospel has gotten boring to you, pick it up again. For once a mystery, always a mystery. But this time, don't be afraid of the surprises. Relish them. Embrace them. Trust the Lord. Einstein once said, the most beautiful emotion we can experience is the mysterious. It stands at the cradle of all true art and science. He who can no longer wonder and stand stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead, a snuffed out candle. It's the mystery that keeps love alive in any relationship. I like what Charles Swindoll writes about the Holy Spirit. He says, by the time I graduated from seminary, I had many convictions and few questions. But during a lifetime of ministry, I found that the work of the Spirit keeps me off balance. Some church leaders seem afraid the Holy Spirit is going to do something we can't explain. That disturbs many folks. It energizes me. There are dimensions of the Holy Spirit's ministry I've never tapped and about which I know very little I'm on a strong learning curve. I now have questions and a strong interest in many of the things I once felt were settled. To say it plainly, I'm hungry for more of him. I long to know God more deeply, more intimately. I hope we all share in that same holy curiosity. You know, it's been said, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Isn't that true? especially when it comes to the Bible and the things of God. Hey, there's always more there than you and I have seen. It's time for some of us to stop blowing our nose. We go around blowing our nose. Well, I know this and I know that. We're blowing our nose. 
If I say it enough, maybe you'll get it. (laughs) We need to stop treating the Bible like yesterday's news. There's still much, much there that we can grasp. Hey, forget the fact that you've read the Bible all your life. Pick it up afresh and look for something new. It's there. Hunt for the mystery. Focus on the verse before you as if you've never read it before. Ask God to surprise you. I've even got a suggestion, some homework. Start with John 3.16. You know it well. But this time when you read it out loud, I want you to read your name into it. It goes something like this. For God so loved Sandy that he gave his only begotten son that if Sandy believes in him, he won't perish but have everlasting life. When I hear that, it changes the whole meaning of the text. Start reading the Bible expecting the unexpected. And speaking of surprises, here's another one. Paul marvels at the impact that the gospel has had on his own life. Who would have thought the difference it would make? Verse 7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me, who, was, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. The gospel of grace not only saved Paul, but it made him a minister. Paul was made a minister by the mystery. Paul was not so much enlisted into the service of the Lord as he was enchanted. He'd been drawn to the ministry because of the love he'd tasted and the mercy he'd been shown. He, he said of himself... He saw himself as less than the least of the saints. And yet God had given to him the effective working of his power. You see, God doesn't save us by grace and then call us by ability. No one who serves God deserves the post. It's all about grace. The gospel was something that Paul wanted to share because it had captured his heart. Grace now intrigued him. You see, I believe that Paul served God for the surprises. As a Jewish rabbi, legalism had been so predictable. It was rituals and rules and regiment. It was the same old, same old, week in, week out, year in, year out. But when Paul turned to Christ, the living Lord took over. With Jesus at the helm, he never knew what was next. And Paul loved the spontaneity. Every day he couldn't wait to get up to find out what God had in store for him that day. I'll never forget a man that I met. I had gone down to a church in South Florida and I had preached there. And this man came up to me after the service. He told me that his wife had died a couple of years earlier. He told me that after her death, he had had thoughts of suicide. He was very depressed. He was really in a state of hopelessness. He said, but one day, a butterfly flew through the living room and landed on his departed wife's Bible. He said he took it as a sign. And that Sunday morning, he went to Calvary Chapel where he gave his life to Jesus. He came forward after the service. And guess guess what they gave him at the altar? They gave him a book entitled, Welcome to the Family of God. A book that I wrote. He's telling me this. And as he's telling me this, I'm sitting there thinking... I remember the first day I saw that book. We got it back from the publisher, and I can remember grumbling about the cover. A butterfly? Man, why a butterfly? Well, now I knew. 
In fact, that man showed me his copy of my book. It was dog-eared. It was all marked up. He told me that book had gotten him through the darkness and had taught him how to trust in Christ. And I was blown away. You see, it's these kinds of stories that motivate my ministry. God is always up to something, even when you don't see it. It's beautiful, and it's wonderful, but it's unexpected. It's a surprise. I read of another man's testimony. He said he became a Christian for the mystery. He said he now lives on the edge of his seat. He never knows what door God will open or what opportunity will arise. God is always at work. Hey, rather than eliminate surprises like most of us want to do, this man had learned to embrace them. You see, life becomes an adventure when you stop trying to get God to play by your rules and let him do as he pleases. If you're really following, you'll let him lead. And here's another way that God surprised Paul. He says that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He said, I can't believe this, that I get to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Surprise! Not only did he get to preach the gospel of God's grace, but also the riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. You know that Greek word translated unsearchable. It's a difficult word to interpret. Books offer various definitions. Some call it the inexplorable riches. The untraceable riches. Unfathomable riches. Inexhaustible riches. Illimitable riches. Inscrutable riches. Incalculable riches. Infinite riches. In fact, the most literal rendering of the word would be riches that cannot be tracked. Based on that definition, let me coin a brand new term. I just made it up. How about off-road riches? The acceptance, the forgiveness, the adoption, redemption, inheritance, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the foretaste of heaven. These were the blessings that we read about in chapter 1. But they could have never, they would have never been found if Paul had stayed on the path of Judaism. Paul had to go off-road. He met Christ unexpectedly. And there he found riches untold. Off-road riches. You see, perhaps you've been looking for God's blessing. And like the Jews of old, you've tried to cash in by earning them good deeds, the rosary beads, the right creeds. You've tried to please God by being religious. Hogwash. To receive the riches of Christ, you've got to go off-road and do something really radical. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to admit that there's no good thing in you. That there's nothing you can do to merit God's blessing and trust solely in the Savior. The blessings of Christ are beyond your reach. But Jesus is more than ready to give them to you if you'll just ask. Paul had the privilege of preaching these unsearchable riches of Christ. And I wonder with that privilege, why would a preacher dwell on politics? Or pass out pop psychology or dole out pithy statements and little funny stories. Or be a strict moralist and just lay down the law week after week. Why would you waste your time doing those things? A pastor has a higher calling. I have the honor and the privilege each week to dispense the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
Wow. For me, there's only one thing more fun than keeping a secret, and that's sharing it with someone. God has revealed a divine secret to us so that we could share it with others. In fact, I'm the one person in our family most prone to blow a secret. But Paul and I now have the honor of traveling the world, blowing the secret, letting the cat out of the bag, telling Gentiles of God's grace, and you have that joy too. Paul was having a ball doing it, and we can join in his fun. And verse 9 tells us, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And to make all see. God gave Paul the gospel to preach, but that's only half of the miracle that occurs in our hearts. We preach, but it's up to God to make people see. And it surprised Paul to learn how God does it. How he opens blind eyes. It's through the fellowship of the mystery. For in Christ, all men, even hostile fighting factions like Jew and Gentile, have become one new man. And this is how God makes people see, how he opens people's eyes. It's through the love and the unity that we share. In the eyes of our fragmented, splintered world, our unity is the convincing evidence for the gospel of Christ. You see, this means that the preaching of the gospel and the life of the church go hand in hand. Love and cooperation and dedication to the church is what validates the power of the gospel of grace. The church is strategic and we need to reinforce our commitment to it. Verse 9 continues, from which the beginning of the ages, for from the beginning of the ages, has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. And here's another surprise. Oh, not that God the Son was there at the dawn of time, the beginning of the ages, assisting God the Father in the work of His creation. This was well known. But here's the shocker, that from the beginning of all things, the church also existed in the mind and heart of God. We were hidden in God, as Paul puts it. You know, you might assume that the church is a new arrival, a Johnny-come-lately in God's program, but not so. God had us in his heart and in his plans from the very beginning. And not just as a footnote, but as a major theme. Verse 10 tells us, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in which we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We were the trump card that God held in his hand. He kept us back to play us at the end. And today, the church is what rocks the universe. We are the prism through which God shows off his mercy and grace. He says that principalities and powers in heavenly places All look at us in amazement. Principalities and powers in heavenly places. That's another name for the angels. Did you know that the angels now view us as God's all-time pleasant surprise? For in the church, God displays his manifold or his multifaceted wisdom. The church is the prism through which God sees, through which man sees God's genius and God's glory. 
In the Old Testament, God's glory was a bright, blinding light that no man could look at for very long. But today, God angles and diffuses his light through the church. And the world can see multiple details of his wisdom. And this is what surprises the angels. Not that God can manipulate molecules. They know that. Or he can shift tectonic plates. Or he can collide weather fronts. Or that he can string together planetary orbits. They know that God can do all those things. But what surprises the angels is that he is able to bring diverse and different and divided people together and make them one. The angels see that and marvel. That God can put an end to sin and the division it causes. That he can reconcile us to himself and to each other. This is the eternal purpose accomplished in Christ. I mean, the angels see us. They look down at us. Dogs in jackets. I mean, rednecks and yuppies. Former junkies and former squeaky cleans. They see all of us under the same roof, worshiping God in one accord, and they marvel. This is the piece of the puzzle angels never saw. They look at us, the church, and they scratch their halos. God's strength is seen in nature. His love is seen in the cross, but his wisdom is seen in the church. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that the world sees God's wisdom as foolishness. They don't understand that he's taken the weak of the world and made us strong. Years ago, I was informed by a local radio station, a Christian radio station in town, that Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain had been named Church of the Week. We all got trips to the Bahamas. Just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) But man, I felt so proud. Church of the Week, that's great. Until the Lord reminded me, Sandy, it's the church of of the week the w-e-a-k that's what you guys are and this is God's wisdom that in the church through the power of Christ the weak and the foolish can be strong and wise boy and that's not all that surprises the angels verse 12 tells us that they marvel at the access we possess You know, angels, they tremble, they shake when they appear before the Almighty. God is the boss. They remember that one time long ago, he expelled a third of their ranks. There's a formality in their relationship. And it amazes the angels to then look and see us. Because we've done far more to provoke God and to try his patience. And yet we run to his throne and jump in his lap and we get to call him daddy. The angels marvel at the access That we have in him, in Christ. Notice that's how verse 12 closes. In him. Hey, never forget. This is where all the answers are found. This is where all the blessings lie. In him, in Christ. Reminds me of a man who became a Christian as a young person. This enabled him to memorize large chunks of scripture. But as he got older, his memory started to fade. At last, he could quote just one verse, his favorite verse, 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. But in his final months, even that one verse began to slip from his memory. 
And in the end, he could quote only one word from that one verse. And he quoted it over and over. Him, him, him. The man who had memorized so much of the Bible died only able to quote a single word. And yet, ironically, in the one word he retained, he had the whole Bible. Him. The purpose of all the ages, Paul says, has been summed up in Christ. We close in verse 13, and Paul has one final surprise for his readers. He says, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Realize Paul was in prison, not because he was a criminal, but because he had stood up for the gospel and for the people it intended to save. His imprisonment was the Ephesians' glory. His suffering was for their blessing. You know, most people, when they go to jail, it's because of money. Or maybe jewels they stole or drugs or jealousy. But understand, Paul was incarcerated because of a message that he believed. And this alone is surprising. A man willing to lose his freedom for a message? What kind of message would motivate a man so mightily? It was the message of the gospel of grace. It had intrigued and enchanted and mystified Paul You could say he was under its spell. It was the surprise he couldn't shake that in Christ, God has worked it all out. He's answered every problem. He's satisfied every longing. The gospel of grace, it is beautiful and baffling and brilliant all at the same time. And mostly, it's for believing. Today, will you believe and receive God's grace through Christ Jesus?